All right, everybody, hope you're doing well. This is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. I'm going to try and encapsulate, squeeze down a whole bunch of stuff, really, I've thought about for the last, oh, gosh, you know, it's close to 40 years since I first started getting into philosophy, and um, 40, 50,000 hours. I'm going to try and get it down into about a cozy, say, 20 minutes. That is the idea behind this, and I guess I'll take your questions, I'll take your comments, but let me tell you what the hell is wrong with the world. Because I'll tell you, do you have this when you were a kid? Do you ever have this? I remember this really vividly when I was a kid. So I grew up in like, well, I had a real split when I was a kid. So on the one hand, it was like a single mom, trashy environment, people fighting and, and screaming and like real Bukowski trash heap of humanity stuff. I remember one neighbor was invited us over when we moved into a new building, but then they, we couldn't go because the husband just charged his gun into the wall. <sighs> so there was that real trashy low-rent stuff. But then at the same time, my father paid for me to go to boarding school, which was kind of an upper-class hoity-toity situation. And so I really saw these sort of two poles of existence, you know, a relatively upper-class wealthy stuff and this lower-rent trashy stuff. But I so remember when I was a kid sitting there thinking, like, what is the problem with people just getting along? You know, because you'd, you'd lie there in bed and, you know, my mom might be fighting with her boyfriend or you could hear some other. Sometimes it was a whole coalescing rainbow from hell cacophony, a symphony of sadness and savagery that surrounded me, to use a couple of S words in a <laughs> syllabic way. And these people just fought, and they fought, and they fought, and they fought. And my mom would fight and fight and fight. And people would just not get along. And I remember as a kid just sitting there thinking, what is so tough about just being, just be nice. Be nice. Why is that so complicated? Just be reasonable. Just listen. Just be nice. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. Like, if someone's upset with you, just open your heart, open your ears, and listen. If someone's mad at you, just listen. Maybe they'll try and bully you, maybe not, but at least roll with the punches, judo the aggression. And, you know, I've spent most of this year trapped at home, right? I mean, I used to be a jet-setter world traveler, documentary maker, going to California, going to Poland, going to Hong Kong, and, you know, I'm home with my family. I'm home with my wife and daughter. Yeah, we get a little stir-crazy uh, at times, but, you know, we're all getting along and enjoying each other's company, even though we're, you know, accordion in, cheek by jowl with each other. Like, what is so tough about just being nice, being reasonable, and getting along? So I'm going to boil down what I have thought about with regards to this over the past couple of decades, and I will tell you what the problem is. The first and most important issue with regards to why people can't get along is that they do not understand the concept of abundance. Oh. They do not understand the concept of abundance. Look, this is live streaming out to a lot of people. Used to be a lot more, <laughs> but, but then I questioned uh, censorship. So this is going out to a lot of people and one of you is not taking it from someone else. It's not like, well, you know, you're all going to take turns. It's not like I'm, I'm going over delivering your, this speech in your house, on your front lawn, on your roof. 
down your chimney. So the concept of abundance arises out of a relatively reasonably high IQ mindset which breaks free of the limitations of childhood. The socialism is the idea that childhood should exist in perpetuity. Now, what is the thing that characterizes childhood? Is scarcity. And I mean by that you can't go out and create your own stuff when you're a kid, right? So if, uh, you know, you get... Uh, 10 bucks to share with your brother, then each of you gets five bucks or something like that, right? It's not like you can, you can't photocopy, you can't make more. If you go up to a house and some kid gets the candy bar that you want, then that kid has the candy bar and you don't. So you don't have a sense of abundance of creation. There's a big pile of stuff in the world when you're a kid. And when people take from that big pile, you end up with less. It's a zero-sum game. Someone gets more, you get less. If you have a piece of pie and you're splitting it with your sister, if she gets more, you get less. There's no, well, we can just go and make our own pie. There's no, we can go and grow and create and summon out of nothing, all of this cool stuff. It's a zero-sum game. And this arises not just out of the infancy of our lives, but the infancy of our species. In war, it's a zero-sum game. You kill the other guy, or the other guy kills you. Or, as a famous general once said, the entire point of war is not for you to die for your country, but to make that other poor son of a bitch die for his country. That's the way it works. When you go hunting, if you shoot the deer with an arrow and you drag that deer home, Nobody else gets the deer. I mean, you can choose to share, but nobody else gets that deer. If you go and clean out a raspberry bush, maybe next year somebody else can get more raspberries or maybe later in the season, but nobody else gets those raspberries. That's it. You're done. If you pick the best land and farm it, nobody else can farm that land. I mean, they can take it from you, but you can't both do it at the same time. So the infancy of our species, the infancy of our particular personal environment is this terror of scarcity, this absolute fundamental terror of scarcity. Now, the terror of scarcity creates within it the thirst and desire for totalitarianism, for control over others. Because if you can have your stuff taken and it's one less for you and one more for someone else, you've got to control and manage and bully and control everyone. Because if someone else gets something, it means you don't get it. And that anxiety, that terror, that fear is at the foundation of so much dysfunction. It's like there's this fork in the road that gets taken by every human being, it seems. Every single human being takes this fork in the road and the fork is, is there scarcity or is there abundance? Is somebody else wealthy because I'm poor? Or is somebody else's wealth an opportunity for me to raise my ambition? Do I live in scarcity or do I live in abundance? Is the world something which we can enjoy and grow or are we diminishing 
Are we running out of resources? Is it March and we don't have enough food to make it till May? Now, it's really important to understand that when people want to control you, they will herd you towards the scarcity mindset with whips, with carrots, with sticks, with you name it. They will herd you towards the scarcity mindset. If they can get you to that scarcity mindset, you will inevitably live a life of fear, of anger, of anxiety, of disquiet, of aggression. Because you're in a zero-sum game, which means it's fight or lose, eat or starve, win or die, reproduce or be the last in your line. That's the whole point behind the left. Like when I was growing up, which is way back in the 70s, right? In the 70s, there were doomsayers stalking the earth like grim zombie scarecrows feasting upon the hopes, dreams, and desires of children. And I was told over and over and over and over again that the world was going to be in starvation mode by 1980. It would run out of oil, run out of gas, run out of energy, run out of natural resources. There was going to be, you see, global cooling. And I was going to be waking up one day, looking up through a half a fucking mile of ice. that crept over my bed while I slept. Now, of course, it's climate change and uh, environmental degradation, environmental destruction. People have to get you into the mindset that we're running out of everything. That way they can get us to turn on each other. That's the scarcity mindset. It's a child's mindset. It's a primitive's mindset. See, primitive cultures, primitive people, primitive individuals, they don't conceive of the idea that resources are functionally, functionally limitless. Functionally limitless. We will never, ever, 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 ever run out of oil. <laughs> never, ever, ever will we run out of oil. Guaranteed. Why? Well, first of all, technology is always finding new ways to make oil. Oh, sorry, to, to find oil, right? So before you went, you would drill down, you'd hit the shale and be like, oh, well, I guess we're going home. Now you can get these weird, creepy Jeffrey Epstein tentacle tubes that go around the shale and suck up the oil from the bottom, from underneath. So there's always new ways. You'll also make more efficient engines. And even if at some point, thousands of years from now, oil begins to seriously diminish, like you're really, really running out of oil, you're never going to run out of it, <laughs> Right? Because it gets harder and harder to find and therefore more and more expensive and people have a soft landing with which to find alternatives. It's never... <laughs> last night, I'll tell you something. Funny little story last night. Well, it's not really. So last night, because I'm over 50, I got up to pee. It's just one of the joyous things you have to look forward to if you don't die. I got up to pee and <laughs> I was walking and I was just kind of, you know, it's dark and, and I was just kind of dazed and half still stuck in dream world and all of that. And I just looked down and I'm like, why the hell would my wife put a pillow between me and the bathroom? And I walked forward and I just, boom, <laughs> I just straight face planted <laughs> into the wall. Hmm, <laughs> I guess I'll just be here. And so, of course, I had to apologize to my wife. I'm so sorry for waking you and all that, right? So I just, boom, straight into the wall. We've all, I assume everyone's had that at one time or another, right? That's not how it is when you run out of things in the world. When you run out of things, 
you have a lot of warning, you have price signals, you have all of this stuff that tells you that it's getting harder to find and you might want to think about finding alternatives. You're never going to run out of things. It's a total soft landing. So the, you know, one of the reasons why uh, I'm obviously a little older than a lot of my audience and one of the reasons why I've always been so skeptical about these environmental disasters scenarios is because that's what I grew up with. I was like generation one of let's black and decker drill into the scarcity men uh, mentality into the minds of children. And it was all soul, hope, happiness, and childhood destroying, sociopathic, psychopathic, mega maniacal, narcissistic bullshit that is simply designed to drive you into a scarcity mentality so you cannot look upon your fellow human being with benevolence. This scarcity mentality is at the root of why things are so fracked up in the world. So when I was a kid, I knew there were richer families around. I mean, I went to school with some of them. My friends, my best friend's uh, um, dad, when I was, two of, two of my best friends when I was in junior high school, one was he ran an entire department at a university. He was a professor and a department head. The other, my other best friend was, uh, his father was a doctor. Now, did I sit there and say, damn it, I'm poor because these people are rich. My family is poor because these people are rich. No. No. My family was poor because my mother was insane and volatile and angry and reactive and manipulative and a bully. So nobody wanted to work with her. So she had to kind of bounce along the bottom of the secretarial pool until she got yeeted out into what is it, close to four decades or three and a half decades now of being on disability. I didn't sit there and say, well, they have a big house. And because they have a big house, I have to live in this crappy apartment. No, never crossed my mind. Never crossed my mind. Now, I was a socialist in my early to mid-teens, then around 15 or 16 I discovered philosophy, discovered the free market, discovered lots of cool things. And I was like, great, I'm not going to run out of stuff. There's no reason to fear the future. There's no reason to look upon my fellow man as people who are going to pillage my scarce resources and drive me into starvation. So understand, whenever you see this scarcity mentality being put forward, people are laying the train tracks to try and strip you of your free will and drive you into the land of totalitarianism. Because we're going to run out of stuff so much, we've got to control everyone. We've only got 10 years. It's funny, you know, when I hear AOC and those other people say, you know, we've only got 10 years to turn this around. Flash, Flash, I love you, but we only have 15 hours to save the Earth. <laughs> That's the old Flash Gordon movie, right? Scarcity. You know, the entire population of the world could fit in Texas pretty easily. Scarcity. You've got to, the scarcity mindset is a brain virus that is destroying the world. And it's retarded. It's completely retarded. We're not running out of anything except common sense <laughs> these days. So I really, really wanted to talk about scarcity mentalities. One thing, super, super important to understand what's wrong with the world. So when you meet people and they have this idea that we're running out of stuff, that we're running out of nature, that we're running out of, uh, um, we've got too much carbon and we're going to run out of reasonable climate, run out of oil, run out of food, run out of, 
Now, the scarcity mindset, of course, is a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's what makes it so dangerous. If it was just some weird belief that people had that, you know, I'm going to unzip my forehead and reveal the piranha reptilian monster inside or whatever, nuts, next show. But the scarcity mindset creates disaster. So everyone is so terrified of running out of things and everyone is so resentful and angry at the rich and successful that people can strip mine, deep frack that rage, that hostility towards the successful, the productive, the wealthy. That people just like, well, let's just decapitate the productive elements of society because we hate them so much because they have stuff because they took it from us. I had this debate back when I was on Twitter, (laughs) Uh, back, back when I was on Twitter, with uh, people from India. And some people from India genuinely believed that England only became wealthy because it stole, I can't even remember, some insane number of trillions of dollars from India. That was a zero-sum game, you see. It was England pillaging from India that produced the Industrial Revolution. Like Indians never pillaged from each other (laughs) in the past, right? So what happens is when you get the scarcity mentality, then everyone who has more has preyed upon everyone else and has taken from them, stolen from them. So you got to take it back. If somebody steals your bike, you take it back. The reality bites the band. Hey, that's my bike, right? This self-fulfilling prophecy is so powerful. And that's what's currently undermining the world at the moment. People are like, oh my God, people are rich because these people are poor. People have stuff because they stole stuff from other people. That creates such rage, such resentment that eventually you go around strangling anyone in glasses. Anybody with a couple of bucks in their wallet, anyone with a nice house, anyone, you would just go and kill them. I talked about this in my documentary on Poland. You really should check these out, freedomain.com forward slash documentary. But the scarcity mindset, what happens is people are like, oh, the rich, the productive people have stolen everything from us. We've got to go and kill them and take stuff back. And you talk about killing the goose that lays the golden egg. You're so terrified of scarcity that you actually create it. And you take a society full of astonishing abundance and infinite potential, infinite potential, you understand? And you kill it. Do you know up until the 1930s, Argentina had the same GDP as America? But then they got infected by the scarcity mindset. And they raged and hated against the productivity that was growing everyone out of poverty. And they redistributed and they taxed and raged against and imprisoned and killed. And lo and behold, everyone, everyone thinks that if you take stuff from the rich people, everyone ends up middle class. No. When you take stuff from the rich people, everybody ends up starving. Because the rich people, in a free market situation, I'm not talking about the Bidens. In a free market, wealthy people are very productive. The wealth is the measure of how much they've contributed over and above what they have consumed. Just like your bank account is a measure of how much you've saved versus how much you've spent. So once you get the zero-sum game, a certain slice, if someone has more, someone has to have less. Someone has a bigger slice of the pie, somebody else has a smaller slice of the pie. There's no such thing as snapping your fingers and making new pies, more pies. So you hate the rich, you tax the rich, 
because you're terrified of running out of things, and that means you run out of things. The scarcity mindset, it's like some obsessive guy who's neurotic as hell, and he's like, oh, man, this girl's way too attractive for me. She's way too hot for me. She's way too successful for me. She's going to find out that I'm kind of an uh, insecure guy. She's going to leave me. Oh, my God, she's going to leave me. And he keeps running around saying to her, are you going to leave me? Are you going to find out? Like, are you going to leave me? I, I don't. Uh, you're too good for me. I'm not good enough for you. Are you going to leave me? Hey, guess what? She's gone. Why is she gone? Because she was scared she was going to leave. So therefore she left. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Number one, scarcity mentality. You will see, once you see this, you'll see it everywhere. Everywhere. And listen, there are things, that, you know, if you've got some woman, she's the woman of your dreams, she marries some other guy, yeah. She's with him, she's not with you. But you haven't lost anything. You haven't lost anything. Because if the girl of your dreams wants to marry someone else, then you're not the man of her dreams. And you don't really want to get married to someone who doesn't think you're great, right? You haven't lost anything. If you go out and try and get a job and the manager doesn't want to hire you, you don't want to work for him, <laughs> right? So forget, fuck the scarcity mentality. It is an absolute, complete disaster. And people who accept abundance can look upon their fellow citizens with benevolence, with positivity, and they can look at the wealthy as an inspiration rather than as fucking prey that they need to sick the government on so they can strip mine their resources to the bone marrow and end up living like Gollum in the base of a mountain gnawing on raw fish. Can you be friends with your fellow citizens? Only if you believe in abundance. If you do not believe in abundance, it's kill or be killed. It's a zero-sum game. Well, it's a negative-sum game, actually. Now, that's number one. Number two. See, tell me if you've ever seen this on social media. <laughs> on social media, have you ever seen anything like this where conservatives will post and they will say, oh, my God, the liberals have done something kind of hypocritical, kind of unethical. You know, if they didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have any standards at all. Blah, 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 right? And they keep waving around these moral standards. You know, the Democrats are the real racists, right? I can't believe how hypocritical it is for the uh, Bidens who were profiting from Russia to complain that Trump was colluding with Russia, right? Hillary Clinton paying for opera research that gets laundered into the FBI and it's the basis of the Russia collusion when she was in fact colluding with Russia, right? Whatever they accuse you of, it's what they're doing, right? Does it ever change anything? <laughs> uh, no. No, not really. No, 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 no. <laughs> and it doesn't change, right? So, look, here's the fundamental thing to understand. I'm going to give you a really, really short analogy. So short, I can barely see you over the microphone, right? The analogy goes something like this. You are Bunter Hyden. <laughs> whatever right you're some guy and what's happened is you got addicted to drugs hookers blow whatever it is right and you've ended up a quarter million dollars in debt to the mob to the mob right 
And you are, of course, inevitably on the left, right? Now, you have a grandmother who's a staunch Trump supporter, a staunch Republican, a staunch conservative, and she's dying. And she's going to leave you a million dollars, right? Now, if you get this million dollars, clearly you're going to make bad decisions. But what you believe is you get the million dollars, you can shave off a quarter of it, and you can pay off the mob, and you'll live. But if you don't get this money from your grandmother, then the mob is going to kill you. And, and they'll do very unpleasant things to you before they kill you to send a message to everyone who decides not to pay the quarter million dollars back, right? So it's either get the inheritance from granny or die, right? And you don't have a job, you don't have savings, you don't have opportunities, whatever, right? Now, you're sitting with your grandmother and she's like, I really like Trump. Trump is the future. Now, what are you going to say? Right? If you hate Trump, you can say, oh, Trump is a blah, 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 whatever bad thing, right? Well, you don't have the really option to say that because you're dependent upon your grandmother for the money to keep you out of the grave, out of the Florida swamp, out of the I need new kneecaps clinic, right? Can you be moral? Can you be honest? Can you have integrity in that situation? Of course not. Of course you can't. So, fundamental thing to understand about the world, scarcity mindset and morality depends upon independence. Now, if you're a self-made man, if you've got savings, if you don't particularly want or need or care about granny's money, then when granny says, I love me some Trump, you can say, I don't love me some Trump, right? Because you have independence, because you are self-made, because you are self-sufficient, you can have integrity. Dependence is amorality. Dependence is the best you can do when you're dependent on someone is to create the illusion of morality to use as a manipulative weapon to get resources out of the person you depend on. See, there are some of us who face Reality. We face the world. We deal with the world. We gain our resources from the world. Now, this can be what I do, talking to people about philosophy. This can be you are a farmer or you're a carpenter. You deal with the world. You make things that are of value to people, and they will end up supporting you. Not supporting you like a charity, but supporting you like value-for-value exchange. Now, for the people who have the fundamental capacity for integrity that arises from independence, from not depending on someone else for your survival, for people who are genuinely independent, only we can pay the cost of morality. Only we can pay the cost of integrity. Now, some people will say, well, what if you are a wife and you're pregnant and you've got two kids and you're breastfeeding? Aren't you dependent upon your husband? No. No. Your husband supports you because he loves you and you are providing value to your husband in whatever manner you choose or you both choose together, I suppose, since it's kind of dependent upon your husband how much value you provide him. But you're raising his children, you're running his house, you're giving him good advice, you're running the finances, whatever, right? 
So that's still an exchange of value for value. No, no. See, dependence is when you don't have anything of value to offer. But you need, 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 need. What do you have to offer your dying grandmother? A political fight? A disagreement? A conflict? You know, what do you have to offer her? If, assuming that, you know, you don't have this big relationship with her, this big positive relationship, right? You don't really have anything to offer her other than obsequience, other than compliance, other than self-subjugating obedience to her whims. Can you be honest with someone whose resources you need in order to survive and to whom you provide no value? So when someone is amoral, when someone is manipulative, right? when the, the Democrats who defended the genuine sexual predations of Bill Clinton suddenly get all up in arms about ghost assaults from 30 years ago with regards to Brett Kavanaugh, when you see that kind of manipulation, when you see Joe Biden saying, I didn't take a dime from foreign governments directly. <laughs> see, it came through my son, who's the bag man. I don't know, that's not a Biden impersonation or whatever, right? But you understand, right? If you don't have independence, you can't afford morality. Independence is the coin with which you can buy a spine, can buy integrity. If you are 100% dependent upon someone else, that's a one-way street. Again, the wife who's raising the kids, the dad, the, the husband, her husband depends on her to raise the kids, run the household, keep everything going. So there's mutual dependence there. Interdependence is different than what I'm talking about. So when you see this kind of manipulation, first thing you need to look at, first thing you need to see is this. Is that person dependent upon others? So a line, I didn't, I never understood this line. Of course, this play, when I was in theater school, this play was incredibly famous. A streetcar named Desire. And in it, the heroine, Blanche Dubois, says, Whoever you are, I have always relied upon the kindness of strangers. And people were like, oh, what a line, what a powerful line from bottle cap choking Tennessee Williams, right? Once read a novel of his where he talked about golden showers with his boyfriend. Hmm. Ooh. I could never understand why that was such a powerful line. De depend on the kindness of strangers. What the hell does that mean? Now I know. Now I understand. I understand what this means. This is the cry of increasingly like half the world. This is the cry of increasingly half the world. That you have to rely on the kindness of strangers. You desperately need things from people, but you can't be bothered to provide actual value to those people, so you've just got to bully and manipulate, threaten, cajole, chide, destroy, if necessary, to serve as a warning to others, right? So, the tech companies. <laughs> oh, could do a whole thing on the tech companies, right? So, people want Biden to get in, and they'll do whatever by any means necessary, right? And they've, they've openly said this, like, by any means necessary, right? 
to all the Republicans who are like, I'm going to vote on election day. I'm like, what, are you crazy? <laughs> are you, do you just want to get beaten up? Is that is that the plan? Doesn't seem like much of a plan to me, but anyway. So why do they say by any means necessary? Because they have no choice in their mind. Scarcity mindset. These, that's why the reason I did the scarcity mindset first is when you're dependent on someone else. If you're a single mom, right? You're a single mom. You've had two kids by two different guys. Your sexual market value is very low. You've got to raise these kids. What options do you have? What choices do you have? What's your plan? Your plan is to just continue getting resources by any means necessary. I mean, people are like, I'm not doing politics. I just want to point out the illusions here. Like, People are saying, my God, Biden's barely even campaigning. It's like, yes, and a man visiting a prostitute doesn't write her any fucking poetry. And he doesn't bring flowers and he doesn't bring chocolate. Why? Because she's already bought and paid for. He doesn't have to woo her. How can people be voting for Biden? Like, I just, I want people to just cross this gap. This conceptual gap, cross this gap and understand. If you live a life of rationality, of independence, of self-sufficiency, of providing value to the people in your life, it's really hard to cross all the way over that giant canyon, that chasm, to the side of people who whine, cajole, threaten, bully, and manipulate for their daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread was the poem that I recited every day as a child. Give us. I don't want to earn it. Gimme, 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 right? Now, if you've set your life up, if you've banged random guys or you got addicted to drugs or whatever it is, partly because society is going to bail you out, then you understand the great threat of a free market politician, is that he moves people over from the takers to the makers, from people on the receiving end of government money to people paying taxes. Now, it's kind of tough to lower taxes when most people are on welfare because they're not paying any taxes or, in fact, receiving money from taxes. It's like saying to people who are addicted to the lottery, uh, let's shut down the lottery, shall we? <laughs> it may be good for them, but they won't want to do it, right? So they've made decisions based upon being able to conjole and bribe and threaten and get resources from people without having to provide value in return. You know, somebody who's a single mom, even now, she could provide value. She could be a wonderful resource for other parents. She could uh, have a sort of informal drop-in kind of daycare kind of thing. She could bake for people. She could make other people's lives pleasant. She could run errands for people while they're out working. There's lots of wonderful things that she could do to begin to reciprocate some of the value that she's receiving from society through the power of the state. People who are corporations, or people who work for corporations, who run corporations, kinda, they've made all these decisions based upon the legal shield that a corporation gives to them. And if people start to talk about taking down that legal shield. You know, back in the day, if you ran your bank into the ground, people took your house. 
Like you ended up living under a bridge. There were personal consequences to general immorality. Now people have got this, uh, well, you know, I'm a chain smoker, but it's okay because the corporation gets lung cancer. I get all the fun and he gets all the cancer. So you can be a complete kleptocrat in business. And I've met some of these people when we were going public. And you can be a complete kleptocrat, kleptocrat in business. But you have a consequence-free existence because the worst thing that can happen is your corporation goes under. You still get to keep the money. You still get to keep the house. You still get to keep the car and all of that. So if you are an independent, self-sufficient human being, what happens is you keep looking over at people and saying, uh, but they're not playing by their own rules. But you understand, your rule is morality, integrity, independence. Their rule is survival. Their rule is survival. So you've got to understand this, right? <laughs> Let's say you and I, we're walking south to north, you know, south to north, right? Down this lovely path somewhere in the mountains. Well, I guess up to some degree. We're walking south to north, right? And um, I go ahead a little ways, and then what happens is you see barreling back down towards you, me, you know, full-on Tom Cruise blurred leg sprint-o-rama happening, right? Now you sit there and think, wait a minute, Steph said he wanted to run, he wanted to walk north, but now he's running south. That doesn't make any sense until you see the giant grizzly bear chasing me down from the north, right? So you understand? I say I want to go north, yet strangely I'm running south. How can this possibly be understood? Well, there's a grizzly, right? So all of the supposed integrity and rules and all of this that's set up is just designed to ensnare you. And to get you to be confused, to be befuddled, to be frustrated, and to say, well, but they set up these rules, and they're not following the rules. You understand? Following rules, following objective rules, following moral rules is a characteristic of independence. Independence. So whenever you see this kind of manipulation going on, first thing you have to ask yourself is, okay, who's dependent on who? And whenever you see powerlessness there, will you absolutely see manipulation. Morality is a function of strength. Hypocrisy is the physics of dependency. Because it's all a smokescreen. You know, like you reach into a tide pool and you try and grab some octopus, what's it going to do? It's going to squirt ink to try and vanish in a cloud so you can't see it. But that's hypocrisy, right? It's just designed to have you not see the fundamental relationship, which is dependence. Because if those of us who are strong and independent really get a sense of how dependent people are upon our productivity, they don't want us to see that. <laughs> they don't want us to see that. But it's important that we do. And it's important to understand that people who are trapped in the scarcity mindset are addicted to fear and rage. And people who are trapped in dependency are addicted to hypocrisy and manipulation. They don't have the coin with which to buy virtue or the possibility of integrity. Now, those of us, like, if I'm making a good case here, when you see this and you understand this, we can approach this situation with love. 
I'm not saying we'll be loved in the moment. <laughs> Quite the opposite. We will be hated in the moment. And if you ever watch the show um, Intervention, you watch the show Intervention, it's about people who are addicted to drugs, uh, alcohol, um, sex, or gambling, or whatever. And whenever you have the intervention, you sit down and say, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to enable this anymore. I'm not going to put up with this in my life anymore. We, this, they hate the addicts hate the people who say that. They loathe, they fear, they rage, they storm, they throw things, they run out of the room, blah, 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 right? Now, later, they're actually mad that you didn't do it earlier. Like, how did you let me be addicted for 10 years without putting your foot down and stop enabling me? Tough love is a way of detaching the sucker pads of dependence from the perpetually humiliated pilot fish that just hope to grab some scraps of seal from around the shark's jaws, right? It's a way of prying them loose from a fairly parasitical form of existence that is unbecoming to a sovereign human being. Got to help people. So you hit the scarcity mindset. You've got to see someone. You understand this is someone who has been programmed to hate the rich, to fear scarcity. Now, why have they been programmed? Well, it's pretty simple. Remember earlier I said it was a negative sum game? It's pretty simple to understand why those people have been programmed this way. Because if I can infect you with a scarcity mindset, which results in a hatred of the productive, then you will run to me and say, go get my stuff back. And I'll be like, absolutely, I will. I will go and get $10,000 from you. Now, I'll keep about 8000 for myself. <laughs> but uh, I'll give you two grand, right? That's why people are infected with the scarcity mindset because the propagandists who infect them with the scarcity mindset and the hatred of the rich keep the lion's share of the income transfer demanded by the scarcity mindset and hatred of the rich. It's a bagman, parasitical, socialist skimming overhead that they take. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful deal. If you can and this is the sad thing. You can see this continually. You can see this, like I read the Canadian media quite a bit, the mainstream media quite a bit. I mean, this bottomless hatred for Trump. It's psychotic, of course, right? And you'd think if the 20th century had taught humanity anything, really starting with the, gosh, starting with the 18th century, the French Revolution, but particularly the 20th century, what it should have taught people is, you know, being taught to hate huge sections of humanity or even small sections of humanity is really, really bad. It's really, really bad to be talked into and propagandized into hating people. And everyone, they look at the Second World War, they look at, and they're, oh yeah, that was really bad, and you're taught to hate people, that's really bad, taught to hate the Jews, that's really bad, oh we got, right? <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, well, half of America is racist and evil. Yeah, that sounds great, because <laughs> we've learned nothing, nothing, from the 20th century, from the 350 million people slaughtered as a result of propagandized hatred, we've learned nothing. We've learned nothing. We still, people are still dancing, lemming-like, merrily and happily into the pit of hatred that takes down the world. <laughs> of course, if you're hating others, then you're not hating the real powers that be, right? So. so, 
Scarcity mindset. Look for that. That's people trapped into hatred and futility. Because you see, if you define anyone who has stuff as a thief, you are cutting off the poor from raising themselves out of poverty. You understand? If you say, well, the only way to get any money is to steal from others, then the poor are like, well, I, I don't want to be a bad person, so I guess I'll stay poor. Oh, but I can't live, so I guess I'll get the government to take the stuff back from me that was stolen. That way I don't end up rich and bad. Hell, you can't even make it into the middle class if you've got that mindset. And I'm again, I grew up poor. I mean, I know people who have this mindset, and I've seen the flattened windshield wiper flying off the windshield, descending pitiful arc of their bare existence. It's horrible. Horrible to have that scarcity mindset. You are trapped in the underworld. You are trapped upon dependency. You are trapped upon the kindness of strangers. So infecting people with the scarcity mindset is absolutely essential to building and maintaining a power base of this world. So look at them as people who are trapped under a giant lock. They didn't pull the log over. They didn't invent the system that ground them down. They didn't come up with, like, what was it, 170 years ago that the governments took over schools. Yeah, it's a little bit before our time. <laughs> Can't really be held responsible for all of that. And it's been 100 years since the, since the communists decided to start infiltrating all of the Western institutions, resulting in what's playing out now. And they sat at their desks and they took their notes and they nodded and they wanted to be good students and they wanted to be good people and they got their brains eaten alive. Liberating people from the scarcity mindset is really, really, really important. I mean, if, imagine someone comes up to you and says that I want you to vote for a police department that vigorously defends the unlawful owners of stolen property. Vigorously defends it. Never would imagine trying to give that money back or get that money back. If someone steals your car, Bob steals your car, and you call the cops, the cops are going to rush right over to Bob and make sure that that car is defended and you can never get it back. I mean, you would find that appalling, right? Appalling. You go to your mom when you're a kid. And you say, my brother took my candy bar. And your mother rushes to your candy bar collection, takes another three candy bars and gives them to your brother. And says, don't you dare try and take those back. They're his. You hear me? Oh, and if you ever try and take them back from him, you're going to be thrashed within an inch of your life. You'd be appalled. But you understand, when you have the scarcity mindset, that's what the free market looks like to you. Because you see, the rich guy up on the hill... He's wealthy because he stole from you. And in capitalism, he can call the police if you go and try and take your stuff back. So he stays in lawful possession of his illegally and immorally gained property at your expense. To understand, once you get the scarcity mindset, then property rights, the rule of law, the free market, minimal government, whatever you want to call it, conservatism in many ways, looks like the complete opposite of justice and fairness. Everything that everyone else has that's more than yours has been taken from you. And you know that nasty capitalist system is just going to make sure that they keep it and, in fact, get even more. So, understand that mindset. Now, when people 
and not self-sufficient, and of course they want to survive, they fall back upon base, bottom of the brain, reptile synapse survival mechanisms, right? Survival mechanisms. So a hawk cannot grow its own food. A hawk cannot farm. It cannot be a livestock owner. So what the hawk does is it kind of floats around the landscape until it sees a rabbit, dives down, picks up the rabbit, and rips its head off and eats it. It steals, right? Because that's the only way that it can survive. Now, when people believe that the only way that they can survive is for other people to be forced to give them stuff, then that's another avenue into, this, into the um, scarcity mindset. Because when you have to do something bad in order to survive, the first thing you want to do is justify it to yourself. So if, if you are dependent, it's kind of a, these two things are two sides of the same coin. If you are dependent on other people, it's kind of humiliating. It's kind of bullying when you've got to call the government and say, go take that shit from people and give it to me. It's kind of humiliating. It's kind of gross, right? So what you have to do is you have to say, no, 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 I'm not taking from them. I'm taking back what was rightfully mine, what was acquired from them through exploitation, underpaying my ancestor, whatever it is, right? Reparations, right? You're not stealing, you're stealing back. But the only way that you can justify stealing back is to believe that you were stolen from in the first place, which takes you right back to the scarcity mindset. These two things are so intertwined. The amorality of dependence and the scarcity mindset are so intertwined. I mean, cuckoos lay their eggs in other birds' nests, right? That's what it means to be cuckold, right? So cuckoos lay their eggs in other birds' nests. And what happens is the other birds will raise the cuckoo's baby. Now, this is great for the cuckoo, right? Because the cuckoo doesn't have to invest all the resources into raising his own or her own babies, right? Now, do we sit there and say, well, that's just immoral. That's just wrong. No, <laughs> because that's their adopted survival strategy. They don't really have a choice about that anymore, right? Any more than a lion has a choice to become a vegetarian. That's their survival strategy. So once people have adapted to preying on others through the power of the state, now, it can be indirectly, oh, sorry, it can be directly, like they prey upon others just by stealing from them or whatever it is, right? Directly, right? It's a thief. Or it can be indirectly that they vote for policies that are going to, the government's going to go steal from other people to bring it to you. This is more of a female strategy because women aren't going to be very good at being stick-up artists because they're smaller, right? So when you come across these leftists and you sit there and you say, oh, well, you know, all we got to do is we got to convince them that they're being hypocrites. But that's like going to the lion and saying, you know, here's the problem, man. The problem, you see, is that you eat the zebra, but you would never allow the zebra to eat you. And thinking that's somehow going to make the lion into a vegetarian. <laughs> but I've exposed a contradiction in your halal, right? That is not going to work. So railing against this hypocrisy is failing to understand the purpose of what's going on. The purpose of what's going on is to confuse, to baffle, to frustrate you to the point where You stop hunting for the truth, for the facts, for the moral reality of the situation. I mean, have you ever seen the, the video of the rabbits being chased by the wolves, right? And the rabbits are like, da -da -da -da, darting all over the place, changing, 
direction on a dime because they don't have the size, but they have the smaller mass that allows them to break inertia and change directions quickly, right? Yeah. Well, they're just trying to tire out the wolves. So the wolves give up the chase. And that's the whole point of hypocrisy for those who are dependent. Right? So you, you understand that there's a sort of trope, right? You, you can understand so much of the world this way. There's a sort of trope that conservative women are more attractive than liberal women. Well, you understand that's this is why. Why do conservative women prefer the free market? Because if they're more attractive, they can get a higher quality, more productive man, and they're going to end up with more money. They're going to end up with more money through the free market because they can attract a higher earning alpha male, right? If you're an unattractive female, then yeah, you're going to be more on the left because you're going to have to run to the government because you can't compete to get a high quality male or in general, right? And so this kind of dependence, scarcity mindset, dependence mindset, if you can't, and listen, I, I haven't always done this, so you know, I'm, I'm not lecturing from some high moral plane here. But you got to understand that approaching this stuff, approaching these people, it's like they're trapped under propaganda, rank, self-destructive self-interest, lies, need, and they don't feel they can succeed, right? That's the fundamental thing that happens. Once you infect people with these mindsets, then you cut off their capacity to work, to grow, to succeed, to challenge, to gain resources. Because, you know, if, 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 if you're working in a car dealership, hey, if I sell this car, Bob can't sell this car, and so I'm going to end up with more, Bob's going to end up with less, and I'm an egalitarian, I feel bad. It cuts them down. It cuts down their ambition, their drive, their hunger for things, for success. So deep down, they don't believe that they can succeed. And as long as they continue to believe this garbage, they're right. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. The scarcity mindset being a self-fulfilling prophecy doesn't just work in terms of the statism that takes over an economy and destroys it. It also occurs at the level of the individual. That if you believe the accumulation of anything comes at stealing stuff from others, then you'll feel bad about succeeding and becoming rich. You'll be like, instead of like, yay, I got this job, you'll be like, oh, man, I just blocked everyone else from getting this job. Oh, that's terrible. Oh. And you over-empathize, which is another part of the manipulation that goes on, which is the manipulation that goes on from the left is empathize with me, but I'll never empathize with you. <laughs> right, empathize with me, but I'll never empathize with you, right? And the deplatforming was kind of helpful for me in that way that I recently went through over the summer, right? Which is like, I got very few, um, a very small amount of support from, you know, some people I really valued, really cared about, but there's a very small amount of support. So now the beautiful thing is when everyone says to me, but don't you care about X, Y, or Z in society? It's like, well, I, I care about as much as they cared about me. <laughs> so, you know, morality is reciprocity. It's not abstract rules like physics or like, what is it? This guy, um, a Muslim just went and beheaded couple of people, the 70-year-old woman mass in France, and so on. It's like, yeah. I worked quite hard to inform the French people about the options of less mass immigration and Marine Le Pen and so on. And they're like, oh, you're a racist. Like, okay, well, I can't care more about the French people than they care about themselves. I, I can't. I mean, I guess I could, but it was sort of pointless, right? And it's a great thing about having expended all this energy in the world to make it a better place is the people who aren't listened, I don't have to... Uh, care about them anymore. In fact, it would be kind of pathologically unhealthy 
to do it, right? So people who feel that they can't succeed, that they can't get ahead, and they're simply reduced to crybullying, to aggressive begging, to manipulation, to obfuscation, to um, begging, pleading, whining, complaining, flattering, and finally attacking if something threatens their survival, right? And people genuinely believe that when Donald Trump gets in, more and more people are going to become more and more productive and more and more of the free market. And that way, because more people are paying taxes rather than receiving benefits, that way, the welfare state itself will be threatened. And people have become so dependent upon the welfare state that the earlier analogy I gave to you of the gambling addict who owed a quarter million dollars to the mob and desperately needed the inheritance from his grandmother, he doesn't have any choice. And the people who feel, well, if the government doesn't pay for my medication and if the government doesn't give me money and if the government doesn't give me food stamps, I'm going to die. Well, once you're in that mindset, how much of that is true? Don't know. Don't know. But the important thing is once you're in that mindset, what do abstract principles have to do with anything? But property rights, but free market, but moral consistency, but hold on, right? I gotta eat, gotta eat. Sorry, kids need to eat. Need a roof over my head, gets cold up here. It's all well and good, but it's just noise, right? Because you've reduced people through dependence to bear animal survival based upon manipulation and falsehood, and then you expect them to be consistent. You're asking them to die. You're asking them to kill themselves in their mind, in their mind. How true it is, again, I don't know, but you're asking people to go against the fundamental drive of biology, which is to survive. It's not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work. And this is why I do all this. See, people are like, oh, why do you do all this deep work with the people? Because issues that sort of go floating along the top like white foam on the surface of the ocean, man, it's a Mariana Trench. It's seven miles down. You drop a pedal that take, pebble that takes an hour to get to the bottom. That's where people's issues are. And that's why, look, I've done a lot of work with abstract arguments on it. It's still great. Still, and still enjoy it. Still enjoy it. We'll still do it. But having had a landscape of applying blood, sweat, and tears for 15 years in the public landscape, got to understand that uh, this is where people are in their mindset. You can challenge the mindset, and that can be very productive. But trying to change people's decisions without addressing the base dependency and scarcity anxiety at the root of their thinking, well, it's like, <laughs> it's like there's a tree that casts this big shadow in your yard. The tree's not owned. Let's say you live on the edge of the woods. There's a tree that casts a big shadow in your yard. You move in and you're like, ah, I, don't wanna, I don't want this tree shadow. So what do you do? Do you just like try and dig the shadow up? Do you try and push the shadow? Do you try and put something over the shadow so it fades away? Do you, do you try and paint the shadow out? No. None of that will do anything. you got to look at what's casting the shadow. And what's casting the shadow is a deep terror that success equals evil and a deep terror that manipulations exposed equal death. It is an existential anxiety about existence. And this is why, you know, the big incomprehensible thing that's going on, you know, Hunter Biden, 
stuff, the Joe Biden stuff, the corruption, the foreign dealings, the pornography, the family members, the uh, what looks like an underage girl. I mean, this is it's a complete nightmare. It's absolutely, it, it's beyond appalling. I, I, I don't, I, I don't even have words for what it is. It's, it's a gate to hell. It's a gateway to hell itself. And of course, a lot of people are like, well, the Biden campaign is over. But it's not. But it's not. Because of what I'm talking about here. People are like, but I have to. I mean, yeah, it's terrible what that guy did. It's terrible. Bad stuff, man. Sounds, sounds terrible. Still got to eat. Still need a roof over my head. My kids got to get to the dentist. Sorry, Mike. That's, that's, you know, wow, that's bad stuff. Don't get me wrong. If, in the magic world, I'd prefer that stuff wasn't happening, blah, 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 right? This is the mindset. Still got to eat. And that's why getting people dependent on the state, well, it's just a vote buying. Just straight up vote buying. All right. I wanted to keep this short. By God, I'm going to find a way to do it. So thanks, everyone, so much for listening. I hope that you find this helpful. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. To uh, help me out, a battle-scarred warrior of 15 years of public rationality, I would really, really appreciate that. And thanks, everyone, so much. I love you guys for your attention and your support. And uh, I, will, uh, I will talk to you soon. I'm going to do a debate on Saturday. Uh, that is going to be the 31st. Uh, it's going to be a debate on Saturday, the 31st, October 2020, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just drop by wherever you're watching me from here, and we'll live stream it. It's um, my theory of ethics, universally preferable behavior versus... Versus animal rights. Or is it versus? We shall. We shall see. All right. Thanks, everyone, so much. Have a great, great evening. I love you guys so much. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. I'll talk to you soon.